Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your hosts, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Korea. Konnichiwa. Today's episode, Tweet Bashing, Round 3, Canon. Everybody, we are back again. Season 2 of the Writer Dojo. We're glad to have you with us. And I started, I started this silly trend of saying hello a different way every time, and now I'm like running out. I have to like Google search. I know. We're going to have to Google search how to say it in different languages now. <laughs> Considering our grand total of languages we know is like Spanish and Portuguese. That's right. And I don't even, I don't remember any Portuguese. <laughs> Boy, I don't even. Well, I think it's, I think it's Bon Dia. Yeah. In Portuguese, or in uh, Brazil anyway. Well, and I, I, never mind. Uh, I, anyway. I, <laughs> anyway. Today's a special day, everyone. So a, a little while back, we had a world building uh, episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, it was a good episode. Everyone, you know, everyone liked it. There was one guy, though, that, that complained saying that, that uh, how dare we only do one episode on uh, world building? I'm like, buddy, like, at the time, I think we were like eight episodes into the first season. Yeah, and you guys said world building is such a giant topic. So I, I teach a world building class as a seminar on, on, on different cons, and it's four hours. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, it's a basic world building thing. Right. So this is a topic that we will revisit a lot. Oh, I'm sh- you know, of course we will. I mean, I, I know, I know, for example, that we have some episodes planned on injecting religion into your world. Oh yeah. Injecting politics into your world. Those are two separate episodes. Yeah. So like there's building, so much. World building is a huge one, guys. Now we, we have one today. Today is a world building episode, but this episode is brought to you by Larry's Absurd Voice. So, you know what this means. This means <laughs> someone somewhere said something stupid on the internet, and it's time for us to mock them mercilessly. Oh, uh, yeah. So, basically, this has become tradition when we get really stupid writing advice, usually from Twitter. Yep. Uh, I, I, I've decided that we won't say who they're from, because uh, no. that's, not, that's not cool. But, um, however, uh, I will read them as if they're all the same person. That's right. They might as well be. So, here we go. The very idea of, quote, canon, quote, fiction is effing, sorry, I can't, I can't swear on the show, effing hilarious to me. We're talking about make-believe, but please distinguish if you mean the pretend make-believe or the really real one. <laughs> Brought to you by Twitter. That's now, fair. I need to actually read this in English because I, I know it's hard to understand when I, when I do my stupid <laughs> voice. It's like a mutant bobcat goldweight bad writing advice voice. Um, so this guy... Uh, he says, the very idea of, quote, canon fiction is effing hilarious to me. We're talking about make-believe, but please distinguish if you mean the pretend make-believe or the really real one. I remember when we, when we both saw this the first time. I laughed. I don't remember who linked it to us. It was probably someone on Facebook. You guys are really good at finding really bad writing advice. Our, and, our supporters and please, are awesome And please that. continue sending please continue them our saying, way. We love these. Um, we were both so baffled um, and, and then offended. And then we laughed hysterically for a little while. And then we were like, well, sweet. I know we're going to have an episode on what this. What a big dumb dummy. Um, it's so stupid. Okay. So canon, to, to explain what we're talking about here with canon and continuity, um, when you say that something is canon for a fictional universe, that means it's been established as it's the reality for that world. It's also, you hear the word continuity. Continuity means that like, as a story continues, 
The story doesn't diverge from the past it's already established. If it's established that this happened in that universe, they don't just throw that away in the future. And we'll talk about, you know, things that do that and why it's bad. Yep. Um, but that's basically what we're talking about here. So when you're world building, um, so this guy getting all sneery. And the thing is he had like in his name about geekiness, like, yeah, come on, dude. It, the thing is, if you like a franchise, you like the canon of that franchise. Right. You have now invested time in that. For, yes, it is make-believe, but make-believe, guys, is super important. We as humans need make-believe. We need imagination. We need adventure. We need fun. And, guys, we're writers. Our job is a serious job. So, yeah, our job is to make make-believe, but by golly, our job is to make the best quality make-believe we can so that we can sell it to other people. That's right. Make I, them happy. You know, I, I think the first time I, I really understood the importance of this, Larry, was was back when you and I were writing for Privateer Press. Oh, yeah. Um, you got to understand that a lot of times when we're writing our own things and we're making up our own our own worlds and rules and things like that, you know, we're very detailed in everything. But it's something that we're, we're making up at that moment in time. Um, when Larry and I wrote for Privateer Press, we were, um, man, that, that feels like an age ago now that I'm thinking time. about it. Yeah. Um, they still didn't publish one of my stories. <laughs> you um, said it to them. I know. I'm still upset about that. Anyway, so one of the things that, that I realized very quickly in there was I was writing in a world that had a decade's worth of creative input into it, of internal consistency. Yeah. In fact, they had they had one guy there yeah. who was basically the continuity master, a fellow named Doug. Doug, yeah. Uh, Doug Seacat. Seacat. Yeah. yeah. Doug Seacat. And Doug did a great job. Doug was like, the keeper of the keys of the kingdom. He was the walking Bible encyclopedia of everything that happened in this fictional universe. So every time that we would send him anything, um, you know, you send him a manuscript. Well, in this case, it was, you had to send them a giant freaking uh, outline. Uh, I think I joked before that the outline for the short story I wrote for them was longer than most short stories. Yeah, they were very religious about keeping their um, uh, their IP exact. super super locked down, super consistent. Which is good though, because I've written for some other IPs I could talk about that are the opposite. Right, but I remember. Aliens. Holy crap! Sure. Yeah, but you know, I sent over one to them, and then uh, in very in pretty short order, they would send me back comments and say, "Yeah, you can't do this or this or this or this because that was contradicted." you know, seven years ago in this one paragraph that's in this source book. Yeah. And it's like, well, crap. Okay. Well, I got to be consistent then. And this is really important to them because these guys are running a game universe being, you know, lots of people are playing in it and lots of people uh, had written for it over the years. Mm -hmm. So when you have an IP like that, it's very important to keep all your people kind of tethered to the same basic reality. Uh, otherwise, they're going to go off. And if you start to have things contradicting the, itself in its own universe, it's going to cause uh, fan disgust and fan annoyance. Yep. And remember, guys, primary goals as a writer is to never let them be bored or confused. Yep. If they're confused because you have like broken the continuity of your universe, they're gonna they're gonna read that scene and they're gonna be like, "Hey, wait a minute." In the last book, it was this and this, and they just did this entirely different thing. How is that? And that fan has now got kicked out of the immersion. They are no longer immersed in the universe you created. He is now afloat on a river of I hate you. Well, and and I've seen people, you know, through reviews and stuff, I've seen people quit reading 
various novels and short stories because of very very small things oh, that yes. kick them from there that kick them out of the you know the, the the state that they're in yeah you don't even remember what, you don't even realize what people won't remember now we've talked like, we talk about like writing for big ip with a whole bunch of other writers in it when you're writing your own stuff it's totally different uh, because you are the keeper of the keys and it, the universe is whatever you say it is but then it falls upon you as the editor. You must now be the, the the hardcore Bible of your universe. I really recommend, guys, if you're writing a continuous series, to start to keep notes. Yeah. You know, even if it seems like, hey, this character, I've established that they are blue-eyed, left-handed, and went to Fresno State. You know, so by golly, I can't, like, change that to now they're brown-eyed, right-handed, and went to Chico State in the next book. Right. Well, okay? no, no one goes to Chico. Oh man, Chico is the super party school when I was young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one actually gets an education at Chico well, State. Well, that's what I mean. That's why Jimmy the intern went to Chico State uh, and Tom <laughs> Stranger. Right. I did that on purpose, yeah, because where I grew up, Chico State yeah, was yeah. legend. Yeah, you and I know Chico State. Yeah, we both had Chico State just by us. Yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> All right, no, no, that's enough about Chico State. But see, that's the thing though. In the contu- continuity of our universe that we live in, Chico State in the 1990s, ultra party school. Right. You know? How it was. And, and it's, and in our brains, it's maintained that status. Yeah. So if I write a book and Chico State is, uh, you know, has morphed into MIT. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. People who have read the previous Jimmy the Intern stories are going to be like, wait a minute. That's right. You know, you know it, would, it would be like if, um, if you were reading. Uh, no offense to Chico State. That's right. <laughs> um, that'd be like if we were, if we were reading Return of the King and suddenly Gandalf was not Gandalf the white or whatever he was by the end by the end there he was gandalf the blue and he had you know just a sinister goatee and he didn't actually do magic but he was good with a bow yeah like it makes no sense yeah because the thing is yes this stuff is make-believe but so is everything we do and our job is to make this as nice as possible continuity is one of the most simple and basic things you can do that and it's not hard it doesn't take any extra work. And in fact, it actually helps you be more creative because we talked about in the previous world building episodes. I like to do the old, if this, then what? Right. So if I've established in this universe that this kind of thing works a certain way, I'm going to ask myself, well, if it works out. So if we have teleportation magic or healing magic in this universe, how common is it? And how is that going to affect the world around it? Right. You know, because obviously if you have teleportation magic, FedEx becomes a lot different. You know, uh, and so, but if I, if I go in the next book and now I say that I, before I said that teleportation magic was super rare and there's like one in a million people could do it. And I change it in the next book and it's common and it's on every street corner. People are gonna be like, what the heck you yeah. set up a world one way and now you just completely twisted it. Now you can change the things as you go, but you need to have an in-universe explanation as to why they change. Yeah. There has to be some sort of reasoning for it. Yeah. And if, if there's an internal consistent reasoning that you can tell that person that, then the fans are going to be happy and they're going to get it. Right. You know, and you know, I've seen a lot of authors who I enjoy, um, they do this where there are perceived rules within a world. And then as you're reading through the books, through your, you're reading through the series, at some point, a light bulb goes off in the reader's mind and they go, wait a minute, I'm, have I been fed a false line? Is, I did that. Is this, did that is this changing? Magic. That's right. Yep. And that's, that's one of the examples I was thinking of with Faye specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, and, and that was one of the things that Sullivan was researching the whole time, right? Yeah. And so the, 
that element of discovery is really cool. Yep. But there has to be a rational reason for it. Because what would have happened if, um, you know, in in the first hard magic book, everybody's just like, yes, you have your, 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 just your one thing. There's, you know, Sullivan isn't researching it. There's been no foreshadowing of it. And then in, in Spellbound, all of a sudden, um, Faye's like, hey, guess what? I can do all of that stuff too. Yep. The then, reader would be like, what the heck? I know. Then basically you're just seeing the new Star Wars trilogy. Oh yeah. We could talk about that for the ultimate sins of continuity breaking. Cause they effed over everything. They did. And it's, it's one of those things. It's. It's an insult to the fan, and more importantly, in the moment, it removes them from the immersion. I mean, I can't accentuate that enough. The most important thing we can do, it's, it's kind of like we're an illusionist. We have yeah. sleight of hand. We keep, hey, look at this over here. And while they're looking at the hand, oh, what? I pull the coin out of their ear. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you do these little tricks to keep people focused in that awesome make-believe mm -hmm. rather than thinking I'm sitting here on my chair reading a book. And if I break the immersion, I broke that. And so like um, you speak of Star Wars, the ultimate example of that to me is in The Last Jedi, the Admiral Holdo maneuver, where they completely invalidated nine previous, was it nine, eight movies previous worth of space battles? Because why have a big space battle and fight the Death Star and fight this and fight that and fight Star Destroyers if you could just take a freighter with an angry droid piloting it and just light speed into something and boom it was this it was a beautiful moment it was cinematically looked really oh, cool it looked great but it was the stupidest storytelling thing and i remember i was sitting in the theater and i watched this scene and i watched it and i was like wait a second yeah well then then why fly down the trench to drop That's a right. photon torpedo mm -hmm. into the death star yep why not just take a freaking crappy crappy freighter and smack it at light speed yeah, I mean, and they tried yeah. to clean it up in the next movie with some like little throwaway no, line. That was trash. Oh, that was a one in a million chance. Well, here's the thing: if it's a one in a million chance, if you had three or four freighters drop out because they ran out of gas before that, why not launch one of those in a vain attempt? Why wait till your last freighter to do it? Yeah, it's silly. or your last whatever it was. But you know what I mean? It's just, and it was one of those where continuity was. This is just a great famous recent example. But anytime you break continuity like that the watcher, the reader is going to be like, wait a second, that invalidates my entire previous movie going experience. That's insulting to me. Yeah. I, I think, gosh, it, this bugs me a lot. The, the, this guy's tweet, this idea that, that he, that he finds the idea I love Twitter of, for bad writing. Advice. I know the, the idea that he finds Canon hilarious, um, that, that it's, it's absurd. Um, it would be like, you know, in his own life, if someone came up to him and said, yeah, I don't care that, uh, that you've had this career and experience. Let, let's use me for example. Okay. Um, you know, my career and experience has been in accounting for, for, you know, about half my life at this point. Yep. That would be like, if someone came up to me today and said, yeah, Steve, you know, I don't, I don't really care, um, about any of that. You are now in charge of software development. And that it, everything that you did before, yeah, I don't really care about that. You're in charge of software development now. Go nuts, kid. Like, and, and I just said, okay, yeah. like there's, there's, it's nonsense. So, so if it's, if it's nonsense in real life, 
then it's it has to be nonsense in the fictional in the fictional worlds that you're trying to enjoy as well. Yeah, because if your fictional worlds are supposed to be believable and plausible, That's even right. fantastical yet plausible, because even the craziest, wackiest fantasy or sci-fi world still needs to be something that the reader can feel that they could belong to. Tom Stranger is the craziest, wackiest, goofiest dang thing I've ever written. I mean, I'll put it up there for wackiness against a lot of stuff. Yet it still feels like the kind of universe that makes internal consistent sense. Even if it's goofy satire, if I violate that, though, I've lost the reader. Yeah. You know, and so if they come along and say, well, Steve, you've been an accountant your whole life. We're going to flip the switch and now you're, you know, software development. It's the same thing. It, it violates that immersion. It doesn't make any sense to anybody who knows anything about that topic. It'd be like if Jimmy the intern was suddenly competent and Wendell of Manatee was a uh, socialist, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Continuity <laughs> ruined. All right. When we come back, we're going to we're going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the tricks that we employ to make sure that we keep things consistent within the world from a world basis. Um, and then and also with some of the characters, how they relate into the world. So we'll be right back. From the pulpy pages of Black Mask magazine in the 1920s and 30s, through the film noir era of the 1940s to today, noir fiction has lured many a reader and moviegoer away from the light and into the dark underbelly of society. Humanity, it seems, loves the dark. And within the dark, one figure stands out, that of the femme fatale. Here then, Noir Fatal, an anthology containing the full spectrum of noir fiction, each incorporating the compelling femme fatale character archetype. From straightforward, hard-boiled detective story, to dark urban fantasy, to the dirty secrets of futuristic science fiction, all with a hard, gritty feel. All new stories by Larry Correa, Casey Azell, Merle K. Hamilton, David Weber, Sarah A. Hoyt, Robert Butner. Alistair Kimball, Griffin Barber, Michael Massa, Christopher L. Smith and Michael Ferguson, Hinkley Correa, Patrick Tracy, and Steve Diamond. Noir Fatal is available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. Welcome back, everybody. This has been a very special episode. Because once again, we've got to hear Larry just go wild <laughs> on using his crazy voice. I love Twitter, internet, writing advice, guys. I really do. There's there's so much. You know, at one point we were going to do, uh, and we still will, we're going to do an episode about the worst writing advice we've ever received. So much. The funny thing is, is like half of these, I mean, all of these Twitter things we've made fun of, they qualify. Yeah. Because... This, especially this one right here, the idea that that canon in your fiction is worthless and doesn't make any sense is just that's just idiotic to me. Sneering snobbery, and honestly, it's probably just this guy trying to be lording it over somebody. I don't even know what 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 the topic was, but I'm assuming it was somebody else upset about something breaking canon. Sure, and this guy being you know snooty about it. Um, we were to talk about like how to keep your canon straight. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the things that, that I think was really interesting, and this is the first time I've experienced it, Larry, we turned in our edits for, serv or for Servants of War. We turned in all the stuff and then the copy edit came back and it came with a separate document. And that document was basically like the canon sheet. It was oh, like yeah. the style guide. 
for the for the book. Yep. Band, band editors always do a style guide mm-hmm. for anything that's going to be part of a series. And I remember looking at that and going, well, crap, this is awesome. It is. It's stuff like um, how do people refer to certain things? What what titles are capitalized consistently? Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you refer to a member of a certain organization with a certain title, um, it's stuff like anytime there's like geography established, if there's not a map, but you've established yeah. geography and you say that, that this town is west of this town, they know that's that there. Town. Yep. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is when I, when I was going through and doing, uh, these copy edits, um, I remember going through and, and looking at the thing and I'm, I'm looking at the style guide and I'm going, man, we have a lot of crap in this book. Like there's so many names, yep. there's so many locations. Um, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm really glad I have this document because yeah, it's pretty handy. Because at some point, you know, when when uh, when we go to write book two, hopefully this year, um, I'm going to need that yeah. because, like I said in a previous episode, I have a really short memory, and so I need that guide. And then the great thing was um, one of our one of our uh, alpha readers gave us some phenomenal advice about like Russian names and stuff oh, like Nikki. that. Yeah, yeah Nikki. She was born and raised in Russia. Yeah, she knows her crap. And so she gave a couple of suggestions that I thought were amazing. So I incorporated them into the document immediately. And then I was like, well, I mean, I, I guess I better change the style guide too because this is a thing now. So I went over there and changed them there. The, the amount of uh, effort that that style guide will save me and you later is insane. Yeah. I wish I would have started one of those sooner when I started writing Monster Hunter. Yeah. Because what happens is once you get up to eight books, three spinoffs, and a collection of short stories written by other authors, you've got a lot of stuff. But, for example, when we were writing the short stories, uh, the biggest thing I had to do as an editor is just tell people no. Yeah. You can't do that. And yeah. And not everyone had the benefit that I did. Like sure. like you and I are buddies. We. We live fairly close you, together. You, I think we would, we just like wound up eating lunch and yeah. you're like, Hey, I want to do this, this, and this. Can I do this? And I'm like, eh, no, can I do this? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's you know? literally what happened. Yeah. And, and so if you got that, when you're keeping this stuff in mind, guys, it's very important that you go back before you write the next book in the series, reread what you wrote, or if they're an audiobook, I really like to listen to my own audiobooks. I was going to say, I, I was going to ask, how how much benefit is that for you? When you go back and you're, re, you're listening to the audiobooks, first you get to experience, because you, you're blessed with amazing Really readers. good narrators, yeah. So is there a huge benefit for you doing this? I find personally it helps me in a couple ways. It helps me in the continuity stuff. It helps me refresh uh, even the the nuanced stuff that's not necessarily written down continuity, but just the nature of certain characters, the personality that they have demonstrated before. We've we've talked about continuity mostly being technical things and locations and timelines and titles and that kind of thing, but it's also personalities. If you have a character's personality change dramatic from one episode to another, that's going to be jarring to people too, unless you have an explanation for why that character is being so different. Right. Um, this is the one that gets people a lot with um, like usually comic book or big IP tie-ins, that kind of thing, where a character changes dramatically for no discernible reason. Fans hate that. It just rubs them the wrong way. Um, so I like listening to my audiobooks. It really helps me like uh, 
basically what I did is I'm, I started writing the uh, the fourth um, book in Saga, The Forgotten Warrior, recently. And so I sat down and uh, for a week, I just listened to my audiobooks. I listened to three audiobooks back to back while I painted minis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you follow me on the internet, you saw the pictures of the Mongolian yeah, army. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I cool. painted that whole Mongolian army while listening to like 40 hours or like 50 hours of audiobook or whatever. I was going to say, because they're probably 18 to 20 hours each. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I think they are. I think they're like sixteen, eighteen. Yeah, yeah those are pretty long. And so I listened to all those, just boom, 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 back to back, to get kind of refreshed in the world. And sometimes I also, I, I also will refer back to the printed books too, because it's different in print than it is in mm-hmm. in audio. But by going back, it enables me to remember the stuff that it also, more importantly, it gives me more ideas that I didn't think of before. Because I'll be listening to the audiobook and they'll I'll be talking about something that I I wrote, and I'm like. You know, I didn't explore that. I mentioned that in passing, but I didn't get into that. Why that, once again, going back to the- the, Why, yeah. If then, if this, then why. Um, And when I listen or reread my stuff, I'm like, you know, that's a really cool little factoid I brought up. What can I do with that in this next book? And so it's a source of ideas too. So continuity actually helps you be more creative. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. I also would caution people, don't write yourself into a corner about stuff you haven't mentally developed yet. Like if you don't know how something works in a world and you don't know what direction you're going to take it, don't establish in book one that, oh, well, you know, obviously, you know, magic doesn't work this way and that's official. Because in the next book, you might have like, whoa, it'd be really cool if I could do that. Oh, wait, I already said I couldn't. Yeah. But if you left it open in the first book and said, well... We don't know of anybody who can do it this way. We've never seen it done that way before. That's right. There's no reason it couldn't, you know, or just yeah. leave it vague. If you don't, don't you don't need to specify. Well, and 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 I think that you're going to have different camps on on ways to tackle that, depending on if you're a discovery writer versus an outliner. Yeah. Um, you know, with outlining, you can go through, you kind of lay out your story, and and some of these questions you're going to be answering and exploring and fleshing out as you're, as you're kind of detailing out kind of more or less your roadmap. When you're a discovery writer, you're just going. Yep. And so for that's me, really important. you go back. For, that's check. right. So for me, um, I do a couple things in this regard. Um, one, I'll like highlight and put a note off to the side so that I, I can't miss it. I can't ignore it and say, um, like, Oh, uh, I said here that magic works this way, but I don't know if I'm going to change this and I'll put it off to the side. Or I do exactly what you just said. Um, the characters will say, you know, I'll, I'll be in the scene and I'm like, well, boy, should I do this? Is this a thing? I don't know. I'll just say that no one knows. And then I type it in like, yeah, we're not sure if this works or not. And then that saves me later. Yeah, I'll still it. mark it because, you know, if, if I get to later on in, in, in my draft and I'm like, you know what? You know, something that, that kind of popped out of me later on, I was like, dang, that's, oh, that's actually really good. I yeah. need to change some things. Well, so I'll put it there, go back, and I'll do a little bit of revision. It's yeah, not that great, bad. It's a great opportunity for little ideas. like that. And there's big continuity and little continuity too. Yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be little things you're going to miss because you're human. I remember listening to Jim Butcher one time. He said oh, right. he was on some big panel. I think you heard about this. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. He had like a 500-person audience or whatever. And somebody goes, in book 11, you said this, but in book... 18, you said this. Why? And Jim's like, uh, because I forgot I wrote that the first time. Because <laughs> yeah. you're human. Yeah. You're going to screw. And the thing is, there are, I have continuity errors in my books uh, where I have screwed up. And I, oh, sure. And, and I know about it now. And I usually didn't find out about the screw up until I'm listening to the audiobook like two years later. And I'm like, 
oh crap. And the thing is, sometimes people catch that stuff. I've had astute readers like, wait a minute, you said so-and-so was here in this book, yet he was here in this one. Like, yeah, you know that. I've done that. I've screwed this up. Um, and the thing is, as long as no one draws attention to it, I'm probably fine. I'm not going to name it. But those errors are going to yeah. happen. Yeah. As long as they're not major earth-breaking errors, though, usually people will not get kicked out of the immersion. It'll be more like, oh, well, maybe he was there and then he went to this other place. Yeah, it's not like you, you know? changed the guy's name from one book to the next. Which <laughs> I have that's, done. That's, I, an error, that's an error that's happened. I changed the spelling of one. Yeah. And the editors, copy editors missed that one. Oof. Uh, I changed the character, Lococo. I changed his the spelling of his last name from one book to another. Yeah. And I totally, totally missed that. I just, I screwed that up. And uh, that is not one that you would catch in audio either because it's pronounced oh, right. the same. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, uh, so errors do happen, guys. Even I'm pretty, I'm pretty flippin' meticulous. Let me tell you about a bad continuity. Um, I've written for Aliens. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That franchise. Oh, and I still want to write for that. It's cool. It's, it's awesome. But the problem with Aliens is basically because it's film-based, every director who's come along has tossed whatever continuity stuff they didn't like and just made up new stuff. And that's been like, I don't know, all these different, like four or five different directors over the years running these different different things. And they keep doing different stuff. And so you go, is you're some poor little piddling writer and you go in and it's like, I want to write for this big Hollywood franchise. I want to write a short story. And you start doing the research into what's been established about that particular thing you're yeah, writing none about. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it didn't make a lick of sense. Uh, and so I just, I narrowed down the stuff that hadn't been tossed out as far as I could tell. And, and stuff that I couldn't tell, I just left purposefully vague. Um, cause all you could do. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's a, that's one of those, it's a primary Hollywood thing. Hollywood doesn't care about that as much. They just do whatever, you know? No, I think it's obvious that they don't care about that. I mean, we saw Alien Covenant and we saw Prometheus. Oh my gosh. Prometheus was just the strangest dang thing ever. Like, oh, gorgeous. Gorgeous. Beautiful movie. Uh, one of the greatest blog posts I ever wrote. If you go oh, yeah. to my blog, Monster oh, Nation. Oh, uh, those are those are the those are the good old days, Larry. Yeah, when you and long, I were sharing an office. Yep, that was a long time ago. Go on to Monster Hunter Nation and plug into the search bar, Idris Elba's Captain's Log. Yeah, and it was Captain Idris Elba of the starship Prometheus, and it's a movie review. The from from Idris Elba's perspective. <laughs> the, the trouble the trouble with that is, and and I think this goes back to let, let's use let's use Prometheus for a minute. There's a lot of problems with that in terms of um, technology consistency. In terms of storytelling consistency, in terms of franchise consistency, yep. um, pretty much everything is just completely jacked. And yeah. and and the trouble is, I, I and I remember specifically you and I walking out of the theater, and we were both. I looked at you. You looked at me. We kind of had the, huh? Well, huh? well we, we immediately started questioning what we had just watched. Like we're going. We're going. So. If, if this why, works that way, why did they do this? Like, this can't have been the same planet. No. And then, and how come their machine in the far future is only calibrated this way? Like, I don't get yeah, this. The, the, the medical machine's calibrated only for men, but you can just get manual override, do a C-section. Okay. And then it removes a giant combative squid from your abdomen. Right. And then you just, and it puts like 52 staples to close you up. And then you just run the rest of the movie as long as you grimace once in a while. Well, and speaking of running, you know, things that break immersion, I'm trying for the life of me to still, it's still one of life's great unanswered questions. And that's why didn't Charlize Theron just turn? (laughs) I know. She ran in the worst possible direction. She's like this ice cold, 
super calculating character. And she just. But she totally lacks spatial awareness. Apparently. The space captain lacks spatial awareness. On her character sheet, that was the disadvantage she took. Lacks spatial awareness. Oh my gosh. I'm running from a giant donut. You know, (laughs) and it's unfortunate because again, that movie is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's it's one of the more beautiful movies I think I've ever seen um, from a cinematography standpoint. However, man, you know, talk about breaking immersion. There's so many times... When I, you know, I, I would just start to get back into the, sh- into the story and then it'd yank me out. You know, this is something I think. And that's just a two hour movie, Larry. I think we've mentioned this before. The difference between books and movies, as far as breaking audience immersion is books are, movies have the advantage over us on this. Oh yeah. Because a movie, even we talk about the stupid Holdo maneuver in like The Last Jedi, worst Star Wars movie ever. It was beautiful. And it was yeah, like, at least it was boom, pretty. cool. And then it went on to the next scene and there's no time to think. So all the people sitting in the audience, there's no time to think during a Star Wars movie. They just get swept along. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that you enjoy it less as time goes by. The more because you think. The more time you have to think. And if it's really bad, as soon as it happens like that, I was like, what the crap? And, but even then, like my kids watched it. And we're out and like, the, by the time we're in the parking lot, my, my teenagers are like, what the crap was that? Oh, and not just that scene, but 20 other scenes. All the scenes. Honestly, I felt really bad for Oscar Isaac. It's not until I watched oh. Dune that I realized, oh, wow, Oscar Isaac is actually a good actor. Yeah. I'd only ever seen him in Star Wars. Oh. And then, like, uh, Star Wars and Triple Frontier, which was just, eh, it was, oh. the movie was okay. So I, I didn't know Oscar Isaac could act. And then I watched him as Duke Leto, and it's like, dang, this dude can emote, right? Yeah. And he's a good actor. And then it made me feel worse about Star Wars because Dune was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that that, that getting yanked from the immersion is the, is the biggest See, problem. See, but that's here. where we get the disadvantage as oh, books. Yeah. We don't have an immediate instantaneous flash well, no. to a new cool think, scene. Think about the time, think about the, when people are, think about when people are reading books, right? They're sitting on their couch, probably in their underwear, hopefully, and they're under a blankie <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, they're flipping the pages Yep. and they're usually doing this um, to not do other things. You know, they're doing this to relax. They're doing this to escape. You know, they're doing this instead of watching movies. They're doing this instead of playing video games. And so they're flipping through the pages and, you know, you know, uh, you know, Servants of War, when it comes out, it's probably going to be between four and 500 pages. Okay. Say they're flipping through the pages and they get to a scene where Kristoff acts completely and differently out of character. He's suddenly nice. Suddenly he's a nice human being who just wants to give everybody hugs and skittles, right? Now, that's going to yank someone completely out of the book. And if they pause long enough and go, huh, that doesn't make any sense to me. See, because the movie- What's the reaction? The movie would keep playing. The book, he's going to stop. They can close the book. Yep. Set it aside. And think about it. And then move on to something else. And he's going to go play Halo. He's going to go play Halo, unfortunately. Yep. And it's going to be one of those, you lost that guy. Yeah. Don't lose them. And continuity is by far one of the easiest ways to treat it. Because honestly, there's no excuse. It's not hard unless you're lazy. Yep. The biggest reason authors break continuity is just lazy. And yeah, it's your make-believe, but by golly, it's your job. Nobody likes you doing a phoned-in, half-assed job. Yep. And that's going to come through in the page. Yep. I mean, that laziness is just about as lazy as this guy's tweet. Yeah, that was just dumb. 
I love Twitter, though. Me too. We have like an endless number of episodes of just stupid writing advice we could talk about. That's the best. So uh, thank you for sending those. Buddy. Exactly. Continue. Uh, continue posting bad writing advice. Um, you know where, where we can read it, and uh, and that will continue giving us these wonderful episodes. So thank you all your readers because this one's all your fault. All right, everybody. That's the Writer Dojo. We'll catch you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I'm offended. Ugh, so offended.